Uh, at times, I've talked about another TCC that was important in my life and in Leanne's life. Early on in marriage, we worshiped at Tacoa Christian Church, which is a little tiny church in a little tiny town in northeast Georgia where Leanne was going to college and I was working just after we married. And it was the first time we had ever really lived away from home. And honestly, it wasn't that far from home, but it felt like a long way. And, and we were a little bit lonely because we were separated from our family. And one of the things that we needed was people. And, and this little church that had a very tight-knit, long-standing, close community opened up that community to us and they became the people that we really needed early on in our marriage. And, and it would have been easier for them probably not to do that, but, but they did. They opened up and they allowed us to lead in places that we probably weren't ready to lead and serve in places we probably weren't ready to serve, but it changed us and really became one of the factors that involved us in a lifetime of ministry. And so I'm thankful for that small community that made us part of their community. Now today, we continue in the series that I'm calling Legacy, and sort of a season as we think about that. Last Sunday with a parent-child dedication and what we want to leave to those kids that were part of that. And today, as we think about our high school graduates and the things that we want to leave with them, we all think about the legacy that we leave behind with our children, grandchildren, but also with other people in our lives who are really developing faith behind us as individuals and as a church. So Today, as we continue the series last week, we talked about passing on a strong faith. Today, I want us to think about what we do together. As a community, how do we pass on faith? And community, man, it can mean so much. It's such a big part of being a Christian. And community is where we learn so much about living the Christian life. I began to think about people in the life of this church, people who have worshiped in this room over the years, some even today, but the stories that I've been told of people that came before me and some people that who have people who have affected me, maybe they've built into you as well. Some of you will know these names, some of you won't. From Bill McNeely, some of you learned to teach from the Bible. From Mabel Bowser, some of you gained a passion for reaching the next generation. From Donna Watkins, maybe you learned to pray, or from Leon Tryon, you learned the gift of generosity. From Dave Bree, some of you learned what it means to be a Christian in the marketplace. From Dick Walmsley, some of you learned to love what is right and true. From Dave, Dave Hawley, some of us learned that it's good to laugh, even if we're laughing at ourselves at times. From Jim Newley, some of you learned to love the Bible. From Barb McKinnon and Lori Nation and lots of other ladies who are at work in our kitchen very frequently, maybe you learned to, to serve others. From Nancy Crow, some of you learned the importance of sharing Jesus with people you might never know. From Larry Underwood and Ron Sheely and Roscoe Nation, some of us have learned to love God by caring for what belongs to the church. And from Steve Basham, some of you have learned that we can show our love for Jesus by showing love to people in need. Now, that's not an exhaustive list, right? I mean, there have been people serving as a part of this community of faith since before this building was built. And we could name a lot more names, some people even in this room that I could name who are passing on faith even now to the people who come behind them. But here's my point, not to make an exhaustive list, but to say because of what those people have done, we have received some gifts that we wouldn't receive if we were not in community with each other. We receive those gifts because Christians have come before us and passed them 
to us. And that's one of the reasons that community is so important in the life of being a Christian. Now, the question is, how does that community work? What is it composed of? And how do we help it to grow in the life of this church? I want us to think about that today. And to do that, we're going to continue studying from the book of Acts. I said last week that we would stay in the book of Acts throughout this series. And this week we back up really to near the very beginning, Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we find the, the very first day of the church, right? There's people in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, which lots of churches will celebrate next week. It's always just a few weeks after Easter. They had stayed since the time of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for another Jewish feast, that day of Pentecost. And on that day, Peter stood up and he preached the first sermon to a large group of people, and he pointed to Jesus. And the people said, okay... We believe Jesus really is the Messiah, just what we talked about last week. He's the Son of God. We want to trust Him. What do we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. And over 3,000 of them did just that. Okay, so in Jerusalem, we've got Jews who've come from all over the Roman Empire to celebrate these two Jewish feasts. 3,000 of them, some local, some from other places, have all decided to follow Jesus. Okay. What's next? Luke tells us what's next. But you know, here's the thing. It's interesting that Luke doesn't say, and all of those 3,000 people went to wherever they were lodging, or they went back to their homes, or they left Jerusalem and went home, and they prayed individually and studied their Bibles, and that's how they continued the Christian life. Well, for one thing, most of them didn't have a Bible. All that they would have had was the Old Testament. This is the very first days of the church. We have no, none of the Gospels. Paul's not even a Christian yet, so he hasn't written any of those letters. None of the other letters in the New Testament are there. So all the Bible is is the Old Testament, and it's very expensive. Most people don't have any of the Scriptures, so they can't study them on their own if they even knew how to read. So, what do they do? Luke tells us, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And even in this first verse, he gives us four things they were involved with. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. First of all, the apostles' teaching. Now, why that? Well, because there, there's no New Testament, right? It hasn't been written yet. So who are the people who spent time with Jesus, saw the miracles, heard the teaching, saw that he was executed, crucified on a Roman cross, buried, raised from the dead. The apostles saw it all. And so they are the ones who can say, this is what we heard Jesus say. Now you're, you've just decided to follow Jesus. Let me tell you about the life that he described. Let me tell you the miracles that he performed to confirm your faith, okay? So let me tell you all that stuff. The apostles are the ones to do it. And really, our New Testament is based on either their writings or their testimony to those who wrote it down for us. So the apostles' teaching is still here with us. So they gathered together to hear the apostles teach. Second, the New International Version says fellowship. Okay? Now, fellowship is a word that we use in church, but we don't use it very much outside of church. So what does it mean? Well, the Greek word that stands behind that is the word koinonia. And at its core, it means something about sharing. So our English word, economy, comes from that Greek word, koinonia. So we can get that because an economy is, is sharing things, right? Products that we have to sell, money that we have to buy, so things interchange. 
That's what's going on. This is a koinonia, a sharing. Fellowship is a good word. Community might be a better word. Or maybe even a partnership. So we have these early Christians saying, you know what, this is not about sort of taking our faith, going home, having our quiet time every day with God, and, and spending time alone with God. That could be part of it, but that's not all of it. Part of living the Christian life is community. And in my mind, as we look through these verses, Acts 2, 42 through 47, it's really all about describing this community. Okay, so we'll see more of that. So, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, which is probably sort of a technical phrase that means the Lord's Supper. Okay, that's what they called it early on. They broke bread, breaking the bread that Jesus gave, representing his body, taking the cup that represents his blood. So celebrating what Jesus has done, remembering what he's done. That's part of their life together. We don't have any examples in the New Testament of a Christian taking the Lord's Supper alone. It's always in community. It's always done as the body. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. They understood that this was not going to be easy, that they would need God's help, God's leading, God's guidance, God's strengthening, and they were praying together for those things. So this community is already starting. The very first days of the church, they rec recognize we need to be together and we need to share in these four things. Luke continues this Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So what's going on here? Now remember, you've got Jews from all over the Roman Empire. They've come to Jerusalem. They've decided to follow Jesus. They're trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They're away from their farms. If they're artisans, they're away from their shops. They don't have their income. These early Christians are beginning to recognize each other as family, and they're basically saying, hey, listen, we don't want anyone to be in need. And so they start sharing what they have to make sure no family member is in need. They're providing for one another because they want to be sure everyone is taken care of. It continues in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It makes me wonder if these early Christians, if they came today and worshiped with us, and they go, okay, well, what time are we getting together tomorrow, right? Well, we, don't, we won't be back together until next Sunday. What do you mean? You're not going to see each other for a whole week? Now, that's our practice, and it's not necessarily wrong, but... These early Christians somehow knew that they needed to be together and they needed to be together a lot. That it mattered that they had contact with one another. It was not going to be easy to be a Christian. Your family, your friends might walk away and say, what in the world is up with you? Why are you following this Jesus guy? I don't want anything to do with you. And they would need a new, well, they'd need new people. And this community of faith became their people and it became so important to them that they went to the temple courts every day and gathered together. Now, was every Christian there every day? Well, probably not. But it seems that there were gatherings every day. And more than that, they, they broke up into smaller groups. And this is probably how church developed over time. They met in each other's homes and they broke bread. 
maybe the Lord's Supper, shared a meal, a regular meal. There's something about sharing a meal with other people that brings you together. So they were having this community as groups in a larger sense, but also in smaller groups as well. And Luke finishes the thought in the, in the rest of the, in, in verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they're gathering for worship. That's part of who they are. Now, one of the things that strikes me is right there at the end of verse 47. In our culture, and this is true in business, it's true in education, we really want to program for outcomes, right? I mean, we want to produce a product that's going to make a profit. We want to do education so well that on these measures, our students are going to do really well. And in church, in some ways, we're very similar. We want to program so that people will reach certain goals in their faith, and so we'll reach more people. And we sort of think if we do all the right things, turn all the right knobs, flip all the right switches, and make church just perfect, then, then we're going to grow. Well, we do have some responsibility, right? We do have responsibility to develop mission and vision of what God could be doing in this place. But in the end, it's up to God. I am not in control. Our elders are not in control. Ministry team leaders, none of us are in control. God added to their number. And I think that's still the way it works. The same powerful God who wants the church to succeed, wants the church to grow, is the one who actually does the adding. So in truth, Christian leadership, yeah, it's about developing vision and mission, and it's also about trusting God to do what's needed. So these early Christians, gathering together every day, hearing the apostles teach, sharing in communion, eating meals together, worshiping, praying, because they knew they needed each other. So what does that teach us? To me, it's a pretty simple lesson, that community strengthens faith. They knew that living the Christian life was not about going off in isolation from all the other Christians and trying to figure it out all by myself. It's about being together and sharing this journey that, that's all about knowing Jesus better. And so they shared in that journey. So. Here's another truth, and this one's a little tougher, but it's still true. Christian community, that can be challenging, right? I mean, there are challenges to sharing community. Because all of us, if we're Christians for very long, end up saying something that, man, we wish we had not said to someone in church. I mean, it, it came out too quick, came out wrong, was just the wrong thing to be said. Maybe our motives weren't really bad, but man, it did not work out right. Maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we didn't have the best motives. But we did something that messed it up. Or we, we said something that messed it up. And, and now we've got to try to fix it because Christian community, I mean, we knock against one another because we sometimes have competing goals and aspirations and it's hard. But here's the thing. It's been hard from the beginning. Right? If you read through the whole book of Acts, and certainly if you read through the letters of the New Testament, what you find is Christians knocked against one another in the first century too. Sometimes they did things that 
and they really weren't trying to cause problems, but it did cause a problem. We see differences of opinion so sharp that people say, you know what, I don't think that we can work together right now. But we also see them coming back together later. So Christian community has been challenging for 2,000 years. It will continue to be challenging. But if community is all about sharing, what are the things that we need to share as a community to be healthy? And I think we see some hints at this in this passage. I see three, there's probably a hundred more. But these are the ones I wanna focus on for just a few minutes. First of all, if we're, if we're gonna share this life, we need to share time and space. That's what we're doing right now, right? We're, we're in the same place at the same time. And we need that. You know, when, when COVID happened three years ago, we had been worshiping together like forever, and then suddenly we weren't. And if you're like me, it's like there was something really missing. It is not the same to watch our worship team lead online as it is to be in the room and worship together. It's not the same to watch a speaker online as to be in the same room and experience that together. We missed being together. We need time in the same place at the same time. We need to share in that. And the early church certainly did that. They did it every day. They recognized we need to be together now, together at the same time, same place. Now, I know they didn't have Zoom. They didn't have cell phones. They couldn't communicate unless they were in the same place. But I think the truth is still there. We need to share time and space. Now, to take that just one step further, we need to share experiences. Now, this is a common experience. But for most of the time that we're gathered on a Sunday morning, we're all sort of facing the same direction, watching something that's happening up here, maybe participating by singing and what's going on in our minds. But in some ways, there are shared experiences that feel more shared than this, right? For example, Vacation Bible, come, vacation Bible School is coming up. I say this about every year. You know, at some point in VBS, because we're meeting together every night, we either volunteers have a meal beforehand, we're working together, I get to know someone during VBS way better than I did before. And that's always a, a good thing, that I develop some relationship, or maybe two or three, with some other volunteers that I didn't have before. Why? Because we're sharing an experience. We're doing something together. And that changes the relationship. It strengthens it. And that's community, right? And that can happen in lots of different things. Like we'll have a church picnic before the summer's over. That'll be a shared experience where we share a meal, do some fun things together. That's sharing an experience that binds us together. It's creating common memories. And the church needs that. That builds up Christian community so that when difficult moments come, we've already got a relationship. There's a basis for staying together, right? And then the last thing, we need to share grace. Again, if you look through the book of Acts, you find Christians disagreeing with one another. Why? Because we're people. We are not perfect. We mess it up sometimes. And there are going to be times in our, in our faith walk together, if we're really sharing anything that matters, we're going to blow it. And I'm going to need grace, and you're going to need grace, and we're going to need to extend that. If we're going to maintain community, 
We'll need to forgive each other. And so that's part of what we call fellowship, sharing, community, is also sharing grace. And we see examples through Paul's letters and other letters in the New Testament of a call to make peace between people. Because it was just as clear then as it is now that grace is needed. You know, as your pastor, I want to see you grow. I want to grow along with you. We are never done in this, right? We never say, okay, well, I've, I've fulfilled who God wants me to be. We're always working on it. And one of the ways that we work on it is by sharing community. Because community will strengthen our faith. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for this Christian community. We're thankful for the things that we share, the the memories that we've developed over the years, the service that we've done together. We're thankful for the faith that binds us together. Most of all, we're thankful for Jesus that keeps us united. And God, as a result of being part of this community, we pray that you'll help us to grow in our faith. And God, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.